Welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and Candy Reid. Okay, welcome to the latest edition of Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and we find Mark uh, in Strasbourg this week. How's it going over there? Hi, Candy. Hi, everyone listening. Yeah, we arrived in Strasbourg about well, two days ago um, from, from Rome. Lucky enough, we were able to get a direct flight over, so it was a pretty simple trip. And the weather's better in Strasbourg than it is in Rome. It seems like it's been, well, it was a rough week or 10 days in Rome with the weather there. They really didn't get any luck with that. Here in Strasbourg, it's, it was cold yesterday, but very pleasant today. It's about 17 degrees and reasonably sunny. That sounds good. So obviously this is now uh, just a WTA tournament. You've had a couple, uh, Madrid and Rome have been mixed. How does that make it better? How does that make it worse? What kind of dynamic do you like? Do you like the men being around? Do you like the bars? Or do you like a little bit more quiet where you can get a practice courts easier, etc.? The mixed events are nice in that you get to, you get, you know, the mixed events are bigger. So there's more points, they're bigger events, maybe slightly better run on the whole. But from a coaching perspective, I prefer these kinds. There's plenty of practice courts available. It's calmer, it's quieter. And so you just, you know, you, you're not having to worry about any tournaments, having to go off site for practice. You'll always be able to find practice courts. You know, there's no issues with, with that stuff, with priority of courts and transport, you know. And this, this event's been going, this is one of Magda's favorites of events. I think she's come here seven or eight years in a row now. She just always likes Strasbourg, such a nice city. And they always take care of the players. And there's a nice new hotel this year. And they really upgraded the on, on-site food. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, this is a, I, as a coach, I prefer the ones where it's just women. And I've just been looking at the draw, actually. I was thinking it might be a little bit weaker than it has been in previous years. Because I commentated, I remember last year, where Sloane Stevens lost early. Elisa Mertens was playing as she is this year. There's no Sloane Magda. Your player is the top seed. And she faces Christina Buxer in the first round and then Anastasia Pavlachenkova or a qualifier. So it's immensely tough for a Hologic WTA 250 in the first two rounds. You're looking at some real potential banana skins. Yeah, the, this tournament is, um, yeah, it's not an easy one. There's some tough matches and, you know, the girl we're playing first round is a really talented player. Won't be easy and she's going to be, be ready to go from the offset. So. Yeah, these tournaments, you know, they're always tough to tell because it's the week before a slam. So a lot of players want to, maybe if they didn't do so well in Madrid and Rome, they want to come here and get extra matches before getting to Paris. Then you think, well, maybe it could be weaker because the top, top players aren't going to want to play right before a tournament. They're going to want to get to Paris early, get used to the conditions there. We've always liked this tournament because getting to Paris early, you know, it's it, there's a lot of you know, it can be tricky there because qualifying, the qualifying is going on. So you struggle with courts. There's men and women obviously there. So you're off site a lot. Um, and it's just a bit chaotic. These The, the Grand Slam events, they're draining mentally. They're draining. You, you're, you're usually having to travel a distance to get from the hotel to the site. Like I said, the practice courts can be hard to find. It's just it's just chaotic. And with that many people, you're always getting stopped in the restaurant to talk to people and things like this. You end up spending the whole day there. Whereas these tournaments, it's nice. We we can the, the great thing with the venue here is it's five minutes walk, if that, to the to the to the site. So it's very, very convenient. And they have beautiful cars this year. We had the they sponsor with BMW, so we run the new I seven electric one. Oh, lovely. this morning on the way, which I haven't ever seen this before but all the doors are automatic with a button that opens and closes and then in the back 
the back three seats has a, a full-size sort of panoramic TV screen that comes down oh, the entire wow. width of the car right in front of your face. It lowers down from the ceiling in front of your face and it goes the entire way. So we're getting, uh, we're getting some nice treatment. So out of the three of you, who drives? Is you, Ian Hughes or Magda? Well, at the tournaments, is always the cars always come with the driver, so they pick you up. Um, okay. But in general, yeah, I'm the driver. I'm the designated driver. Magda said a couple of years ago, she said that's probably the most valuable quality you have as a coach is that you know how to drive <laughs> on both sides of the road. Coming from England, driving on the left and then living in America, you can drive on the right. So that's probably the main reason I hire you now. So you have some value. I have some value, she said. That's And then also to help her once in a while with her English on her social media posts. That's basically <laughs> the main value, apparently, that I, that I bring to the table. Well, at least she's up front about it. How are the courts in Strasbourg? Because we know that the Rome ones are sort of supposed to be in the most like Roland Garros. Are Strasbourg a good example as well as what you're going to play next week? Well, in the past, uh, Strasbourg centre court has been great, but honestly, the outside courts weren't. But great thing was that we when we arrived on site yesterday we learned that they have now they ripped up the court and resurfaced one stadium one and two courts so really really good now and and they've also improved the quality of the practice courts so that was a really pleasant surprise we haven't practiced on center with magda being the one seed this week i would imagine we'll play on center court most of her matches but we haven't been able to get on there, but they really, really, really did the uh, outside courts much nicer this year. So that was an improvement. And um, they have the proper Roland Garros lines, which which are for people that don't know, they're not the taped on lines. The mm-hmm. lines are actually concrete and they're installed first. And then the clay is added on top to, to, oh. to level it out. Whereas most clay courts uh, traditionally are, are, are the clay is laid down and then the lines are actually basically nailed in on top of the surface. Whereas Roland Garros, the lines are actually put in first and then the clay is built up around them. So they're really nice. So does that mean that we saw in Rome where the, the lines are nailed down? If the ball obviously hits part of the line, it shoots off. Is the same when it's concrete? It is the same, but you're getting, there's no nails sort of so there's never an issue with the lines coming up or being uneven the line is the lines are literally they're concrete blocks that are put in place so they dig the court down and then they they build up concrete blocks of which make up the lines and then they add in the the compound and the clay on top of that to build up that so it's the 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 nice thing with the lines is they're 100 straight there's no nails that are holding them in place they're not uneven there's no chance sometimes in some courts you know the nails can actually start lifting up Mm -hmm. which can be dangerous so from that standpoint this is a really nice way of doing a clay court and we saw in Rome, some of the players had quite a lot of complaints because they felt there was too much clay on the court. Novak Djokovic was on court and had them removed quite a lot. Obviously, he's got that power to do that. Not many players do. But um, is there a problem when you get too much clay? And are the Strasbourg courts good in that regard? Yeah, I mean, from what we saw yesterday and this morning hitting, they were good. I think that because they knew there'll be some you know breaking in period they have they literally haven't been used yet i think we were the first person to use that court so that you know they may be a little bit soft and because they haven't been used they haven't been compressed a lot and pushed down so that will be something that as the tournament goes on we'll see over time but i mean clay courts same as grass you know they are Mm -hmm. they are going to be worn down that's just part of the surface you're going to have bad bounces here and there and you'll see it as wimbledon goes you know, after the first few days, the courts, the back of the court, you know, they're just worn down. 
I was actually at Wimbledon the other day and uh, all the grass courts are two weeks behind because of how much rain we've had in the UK. So the lines weren't down on the grass courts at the All England Championships, but the lawn looks absolutely spot on, as it always does. So those courts will be lined up and ready to go in about a week and a half now. Is that your local club then? Where you? If only. I'm on the list to become a member, so trying very hard. It's either you've either got to win Wimbledon or you've got to know people that are actually current members. So luckily for me, I'm in the latter. You're ahead of me. I'm not <laughs> getting either. Well, you may win Wimbledon if Magda wins. Well, yeah, and if you, I know you, then maybe you can get me in. As soon as I'm a member, you can come with me. There we go. There we go. It's absolutely heavenly. There's nothing like sitting on the balcony, which is something that Ash Barty has said she wants to do. Just sit on the balcony, have lunch and look at the grass courts. It is the best thing in the whole wide world. Especially with that new centre that they've got there now across the street, which is the, the member area. Oh. Was, I went there last year. It's amazing. The indoor courts are absolutely stunning. And uh, it's like a dome. They're the most beautiful indoor courts I've ever seen. Just the architecture of the inside is just phenomenal. Wow. Everything's just done to an absolute exacting standard. Uh, it's just so lovely. Uh, but getting back to the clay courts, because we're not quite ready for the, for the grass yet. Magda, of, of course, now being top 20, is getting used to being the top seed in these slightly smaller events. How is she handling the pressure? This will be the third one that we've been seeded one. Merida, we, we, we made it through to the quarterfinals. Austin, we lost first round to the girl that ended up, Gracheva, who ended up making finals. So, uh, so far, it hasn't been great, but we'll see how we go this week. Another chance. I'd rather be one. And, you know, I told you, you've got to wear it as a badge of honor. This is something you should be proud of and, and enjoy the, the fact that the other girls know that they're playing you. They're going to have to bring their best. And um, I think that's a, it's a mindset that she's going to still have to get used to. But I, I, I like that problem to have. I'd rather yeah. that than be the girl that's last in or having to qualify each week to get in. Absolutely. And the more she does it, surely she'll get more used to it. And, and like you said, wear it like a badge of honour. And there's something really lovely, isn't there, about being the number one seed. And I'm sure the organisers hold her in a little bit more respect, perhaps, than in previous years. Yes, I think so. I, I, I definitely noticed a little few little perks she gets with, with court bookings and transport and things like that. I think today when we were picked up in the... Uh, in the only i7 car they had, it said, for the number one seed. So that was a nice perk, and we'll take it. That's lovely. I'd like to get your thoughts on the line calling on um, the clay courts before we leave the surface, because I'm really interested if you agree with the electronic line calling or you sort of like the old traditional method where the umpire comes down off the chair to inspect the mark, because it did seem in Rome over the last couple of weeks there were very divided opinions on that. Yeah, I... It's a tricky one, but for me, I would go if I if you ask me just for simplicity, I'd go with the electronic across the board, just because you saw, for example, with the Andy Murray match, there was a really contentious mistake there that was made, and I think there was one with with Novak and mm -hmm. uh, maybe with Holger Runer as well. I think that the players have more trust in the electronic system because it's non-biased. There's mm -hmm. no human factor, so even if the machine is off, it's off for everyone e equally. Whereas the, the human part, I think that there is always some, some concern of bias or unfair treatment. Um, so for me, I'd prefer the electronic, but I think players are going to find something to complain about either way. So <laughs> <laughs> They're a fussy bunch, but you can understand it because they're playing for their livelihoods and a lot of money. And one of those two calls, we know how tight the margins are. If you look at a tennis match, sometimes a match can be divided by a point or two, and that could be the point that makes the difference. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, it's funny. We sometimes we have practices and we practice with another player and we there's a call that's so you, you know we'll, it'll be it'll be funny because the girl will call it out and just say you know what Magda I'm not sure you want to come and look at it and there'll be five or six of us all standing over this ball mark coaches her coaches Ian me Magda and we can't come to a, a consensus on whether it's in or out because if the line is not perfect and it's slightly raised there will always be a gap mm. no matter what because the ball can't then touch the, the flat clay of the surface and the line so there's always going to be a gap the lines when they're nailed down are never 100 straight right. so there's a little bit of deviation in if the line is actually straight so you know when you don't have the electronic you're never going to be sure we you know so it's just the reality is it's never perfect when magda's playing practice sets do you find there are opponents and you don't have to name them of course that do have quite dodgy line calls 100 we have a list <laughs> 100%. We have a list of girls that are going to cheat, a list of girls we don't want to practice with anymore. We have a list of girls that we love to practice with. Yeah, absolutely. So that's in Mark Gellard's little black book. Yeah, I got my book and we definitely have a list of players that we know we're not practicing with again for different reasons. Um, because I think that when you practice, you, you, you know, you want to find somebody that you know you're going to have a good practice with. You're going to win the practice, lose the practice, doesn't matter. You're going to enjoy the practice, feel you got something out of it. You don't want to leave the practice feeling like it was, you know, it was an unhappy environment or an, mm. an environment that wasn't, was a bit hostile. It's not what you want. Yeah, you want to come out of there feeling like you've actually done something in your day, don't you? I can imagine. Is there an occasion where you perhaps have somebody's name in the little black book and you're thinking, you know, well, I'm not sure, but it's three years later, perhaps we'll give them another go? Yes, and I always regret it. <laughs> it, never, it, it never works out for me because uh, usually leopards don't change their spots. And I find that, yeah, we've we've done that a couple of times actually this year, and I've gone. I don't. I don't know why I did that. That was didn't learn. You know, I, I burnt myself once. I shouldn't have got burnt again. Well, you want to give people benefit of the doubt, but as you said, even uh, three years isn't really long enough. Um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, Roland Garros now. Do you stay in the official hotel? Do you have a house that you like to stay in? Is uh, which arrondissement do you generally stay in during the second major of the year? You know, the, the, the tournament provides players with a certain um, per diem or certain options to stay in. So during the tournament, they give you a list of five or six hotels and a couple of them will be sort of allocated only for main draw players and then a couple for qualifying players. And there's a couple of overflow hotels, um, all in the sort of similar area near the Eiffel Tower and and then the transport will be provided to those hotels. They'll have shuttle buses and then private cars that you can book in advance. I think that we've, we've found that we've, we've, you know, over the years found a hotel that we liked or that Magda liked that she feels comfortable with. It's not too far. It's got mm. decent sized rooms. So I think, yeah, we, we tend to stay in the same one now. But they always add new hotels every year. So you like to, to see if there's a newer options or better options. And is this the first year she's going to be seeded at Roland Garros? Yes. Maybe this is the first time she's ever seeded at a slam. Oh. I think this will be the of first course, time. Because that... she wouldn't have been at Australia. But having reached no, the semi, no, she's will... moved into the echelon. Yeah, she'll be. Oh. this will be the first year she's yeah, ever going to be seeded at a slam. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's nice to be seeded. Um, like I said, it's, you should wear it as a, as a badge of honour. But, you know, it's just a different pressure now because you're the hunted now, not the hunter. So it'll be, um, it'll be interesting how she deals with it. I, I still think it's nice to know that 
you're not going to play Iga first round or yes. Rybakina or Sabalenka. Having said that, like you pointed out at the start of this of this podcast today, you know we're here in in Strasbourg and you see that Pavelchenkova's two two rows below you and Svitolina's in there. These girls have both been top five or top ten for a long time. They're not seated, so it doesn't guarantee anything. It just, mm-hmm. I suppose, gives you the, the comfort of knowing you're not going to get the one player or, or the top 32. Absolutely. And of course, Magda, if I remember rightly, played Roland Garros unseeded last year and beat Ons Jabeur in the first round. And at the time, Ons Jabeur was being talked about as a potential Roland Garros champion. Exactly. And then you think, you think to yourself, after having that great win there, that the, the draw would open up. And it, it, it kind of didn't in a way for us because we ended up losing the next round to Martina Trevisan, mm. who got one the of semi-finals. the really, really good clay court player and made the semis. And the week before, she'd won Rabat, I believe. Need to check that for confirmation. Right. But yes, yeah, she, she was really, she's a great clay court player. And she's now, you know, I, I think she's a spot ahead of us in the rankings. So, you know, at the time last year, you think, oh, I've done well. I've got myself uh, an open draw now. And you lose to a girl that makes semifinals and then goes on and becomes 18 in the world. Yeah, it's not not a bad uh, first win, though. That must have given Magda a lot of confidence, and we know what she's done since. So, obviously, no Rafa. That's the big talking point, isn't it, on the men's side. Uh, do you think he'll be back? I do. I, I mean, we were speculating. We were flying right before he said he was going to start his press conference two days ago, and we were kind of hoping, please don't be retiring. You know, we're not ready mm. for that yet. And then I thought Magda expected that she was he was just going to withdraw from the French but it seems like he's wrapped up the sort of the rest of his, you know, next month or two at least, and that 24 will be his last year. Yes. Yeah, it's a shame. It's, it's inevitable, really, and I think we've been spoiled for so long with those those guys. We lost Roger a year or two ago now, and, and obviously Rafael and, and Novak will probably be next. Yeah, it's just the way things go. It's, like you said, uh, I think there's been a wealth, hasn't there, of over 60 majors between the three of them. It's going to be hard to get used to it, but there's always a new generation and a very exciting one coming just behind them. Obviously, Rafa's been suffering with massive injuries as well, hasn't he? So not easy for him. So let's hope we do see him back. Uh, another of the men's players, John Millman, has been writing quite interesting articles and interesting really that he's getting involved about the disparity between the men's and the women's prize money. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. We saw in Rome, the women getting less than half for the women's winner compared to the men's winner. And he's talked about perhaps the WTA not doing a good enough job in the past. What did you think about what he said? Um, I read the article. I think it's a really, really complex question because I think the first of all, the women do have equal prize money in the Grand Slams, mm. which is where essentially, which is run by the ITF. That's essentially the only time they work for the same employer, if you could phrase it that way. The ATP and WTA are two completely different companies, entities, and they they create revenue based on the product that they have to offer. And that's the bottom line. It's a supply and demand for me. It's like the pay-per-view rights for a UFC. Conor McGregor always mm. gets more money for that than other fighters because that's what people are willing to pay to watch him fight. It's what people are willing to watch people to watch the women pay versus the men play. Um, if you go, unfortunately, the reality is a lot of these women's tournaments, there's not enough people watching. I mean, the WTA finals in Fort Worth last year um, was quite empty. Now, I think he wrote in his article, well, why didn't they explore other places like Atlanta? Yes, but but I think there's so many moving parts. 
I think mm. that we don't know about. You know, Atlanta maybe didn't have the facility to host them, didn't have the interest, didn't have the money or the local backing to do it. it it's not easy to do. Right. And of course, it was meant to be in Shenzhen, wasn't it? And it will be this year, as far as we know, the WTA finale. So it was a factor that they didn't know up until a few months before that they were going to have to move it elsewhere. And when it was in Shenzhen, the women had the biggest prize money payout ever in the history of professional tennis, which was, I think, Ash Barty won that tournament, which was a five-day event and picked up $4 million yes. for that. About so, And also, I think it's a mistake for the women to keep comparing themselves to the men because don't handcuff yourself like, if, if if you do that, eventually, at some point, maybe the demand for women's tennis is bigger than the men. So are we going to then say, well, we should only be paid equal to the men? What if the opportunity came that you could be paid more? Right. What if you could make more than the men? Let's let's do the best we can for the women, because I do think as well, he brought rightly so, he brought up the point that the women's tennis players, as a sport, women's tennis players are paid far more than their counterparts in other sports. Yeah, it's the number one women's sport, hands down. There's no doubt. Hands down. And even, I don't know if you remember, a year or two ago at the French Open, Amelie Maresmo, who had been a Grand Slam champion, top player, she's the, was the, the tournament director there at the French. She actually scheduled no women's matches in prime time. There was a big controversy drama about that because she didn't put them at the... And she said, well, the demand from TV... The demand from ticket sales and sponsors is is not as high. They want the men's matches. So at the moment, for me, it's it really is a revenue situation, and it's 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 an entertainment value. And you know, I suppose it even goes down. And you look at college sports in America, where you have the Title IX rule, which came into place because they want to make sure that women have the same opportunities as men, which I get. But but also, men's tennis. You know, I've got a friend who Division One college program is half a million dollars to run a, pro a tennis program. There's only two sports in all of college that make money, men's football and mm -hmm. men's basketball. That's it. They support all the other sports, all other men's sports and all other women's sports. So it's, it's, it's really a supply and demand issue for me. And I think at some point, maybe women's tennis becomes more demanded than the men's tennis, and then they should be paid more. And it's certainly, I think, getting that way, like we've talked about when you've got three of the best male players that have ever played the game, all playing in the same time, the interest has been right up there, haven't we? We've had Federer, Rafa and Novak just doing their stuff. And then we've had sort of cameos from several other players, including Juan Martín de Potro, Andy Murray, Stan Wawrinka, to keep the interest. And perhaps we're going to get that in the women's. A lot of people are talking about Iga Swiatek now and uh, Sabalenka and Rybakina, all perhaps forging that duel. So I do think that women's... Tennis is very much on the up and getting closer to the men's. There's still maybe a little bit of a disparity, but it is certainly getting closer. Absolutely. I think it comes down to two things. One is the product. Is the product you're able to put out on the court as good in the women as it is the men's? And then how well do you market it? I think that's mm -hmm. the bottom line. How good are the people that work for the WTA? How good a job are they selling it to sponsors? How good a job are they promoting the sport? How good a job are they finding facilities and venues to, to host tournaments? What's the business model? So I think there's two parts because you can have the, comp the best company in the world with the smartest marketers and businessmen, but if the on-court product isn't very good, it doesn't matter. And vice versa, if it's a great product, but they're not having good representatives within the WTA, it's not going to work either. So it's a marriage of both.
Do you think, and, and being the thoughtful person you are, I'd imagine there's lots of ideas, but how would you market the WTA better? Next year will be interesting because they're, they're opening up a whole different circuit structure that we talked about before where they're trying to create more rivalries. I think that ultimately it's an entertainment sport and we need to do a better job at marketing and social media side. I think that, that you know, for example, I, I, the amount of people that message me and say, can't find Magda's matches. Where do I watch it? The Billie Jean King Cup is just an awful disastrous event in terms of social media you cannot find the matches you cannot watch the matches you don't know that when they're happening the scores so first of all they need to do a better job of marketing the players and, and promoting mm. the sport i said for example i don't understand that all these events anyone under the age of 16 for example should be given free grounds passes to get in and just get out there because too many of these events are charging too much money for tickets which is stopping yeah. people coming however the problem then becomes where the tournament says well, they need to make money and they're having to pay a lot of money to get a license from the WTA to host the event. So they've got to get their money somehow, you know? So it's, it's, it's a whole cycle of everyone's trying to get back the money they've invested. But I think that that's where the WTA needs to do more initiatives for me in terms of letting 16 and younger, 65 and older, let them in for free get them out there. There's no merchandise. Let's get WTA merchandise out there. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the website, why can't we buy tickets directly from the WTA site? Why do you, if you want to come to Strasbourg, why can't you go to WTAtennis.com to buy WTA shirts, hats, tickets for the event? You should be able to do all of that kind of stuff to create mm -hmm. that culture, just like you can, for example, with the NHL or the NBA or the Premier League. And it'd be quite nice to have sort of merchandise, you're right, with, you know, perhaps Magda's picture on it with Lynette or the person who buys it with their surname on the back of it. So it looks like they're supporting. I can't tell you the amount of times I've already discussed that with the WTA. Some of the representatives there, they, they brought up the issue of licensing because mm. the agents say, well, it's, it's image and we want a percentage. OK, but then what we do is it's very simple is for me, you have an opt-in situation. Any player that is willing to give their name and picture to the WTA, they get a percentage of all revenue that's created from that name. I guarantee you there won't be a player that says, no, I don't want a percentage of revenue from possibly using my name on a show. <laughs> but, you know, money talks. Um, so I think that there's, I think there's a lot of things that they can do to create more of a culture or more of a sort of a family or a, a community. Yeah. A community would be a best word. I wonder if it might be worth the tour sort of getting with the coaches. Is there such a thing? Because obviously you guys are looking from the outside. You probably have some great ideas. Some of them are probably a little impractical, too expensive. And there's obviously reasons that things can't be done. But there might be one idea that comes out, like we've just been discussing, that everybody likes, it's workable. But is there something like a committee that you do chat about it? There are coaching. We have uh, Steve Simon, who's the CEO. He does a good job. Um, and I'm actually recently on the coaching board, if you will, for the WTA. So we, I, I get access to a little bit more information. I would like to see them open it up more because I love talking with other coaches. I, I've talked to other coaches, for example, Piotr Szczepatowski, I've mentioned before. He's, he's a really uh, dynamic thinker. He's got lots of ideas and, and um I like the, the young coaches because they come in with the enthusiasm. And he said, you know, there's so many ideas. For example, performance buys have been something that's been thrown out there before. So, for example, if Magda was to win a, an event on Saturday or Sunday, and she's then got to come to the next event and play on the Monday, Tuesday, 
that's very, very difficult. And what you want to do is you want to reward that player for doing well by giving her maybe a buy into the in the tournament the next week. Because also that next week's tournament, they probably, all those players, want to talk about this player or that are talking about Magda because she's just done well. They want to see her play. They yeah. don't want to see her play Monday afternoon, half asleep, tired and irritable because she's flown 12 hours to get to the next event and play the next day. So, you know, there's so many things like this and it takes time. There's, there's There are obstacles in the way, but I think the coaches actually have so many great ideas because we're out here a lot and we talk. Now, what we don't have access to is all the business side. You know, mm. there's so many things there that, that we're not privy to. There's rules that are in place that prevent some of these things happening. So it takes time. But I think that, um, yeah, I think coaches have a lot of good ideas. It does sound like it. And uh, hopefully we're going to speak to Piotr at some point. He'll agree to to come on and chat because it'd be nice to get his view. I don't believe Shelby's playing in Strasbourg, but it is a very, very strong field. So we wish you all the best. And then, of course, um, the next time we speak will hopefully be at Roland Garros. And hopefully Magda will get a decent draw because that is so important. Um, anything else that you want to... Just add in before we end this edition. Well, I'd like to get your predictions on uh, ah. Roland Garros. I, I, I'd like to put you under a bit of pressure. <laughs> see what your what your who your picks are. Well, I don't think you can look past Eager, even though she's been injured. I think she's declared she's all right. She's booked her flights, hasn't she, for for Paris? So that's a safe bet. I was hoping you were going to say Magda first, but well, I mean Magda's always number one, Mark. Yeah, yeah, that was okay. We, that was a given, right? I was just checking. That's an absolute given. I just don't want to be too biased. I'm really surprised how Elena Rabakina, how well she's moving on the clay. I've been very, very impressed by her. And obviously she's got huge weapons. And she's just such a stable character on court. She doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. And a lot of people have actually criticised her for that. But I quite like that. You know, I like the fact that, yeah, when she won Wimbledon, it's not like a big song and dance. It's not in the face of the opponent. It's classy, in my opinion. Take it as you will. And, you know, a lot of people have accused her of not having a personality, but I don't think that's fair. No, that's not fair. And I, 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 not to take anything away from Elena, but also have to sort of give a quick mention to what a great week Kalanina's had this week, mm, making amazing. her first tour, thousand level tour final, which was really good effort, beat some top players. And I saw a bit of her tennis and she's playing really well. So She's got one of the best backhands in the game, hasn't she? Yeah, she really does. And another player that I think you have to just keep a little eye on at the uh, French Open will be Ostapenko. Mm. When she's on fire, I mean, she's just insatiable. She is. And she's been giving people hugs at the end of the matches. Her and Paola Badosa shared a very good moment. I wouldn't have put her in the category of huggers, but um, <laughs> she's, she's definitely a hell of a ball striker when she's feeling it. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of people, again, uh, accuse her of not being a great athlete. I think they're wrong. And I think that she reads the game brilliantly. Yeah, she's perhaps not built like a, a Svientek or a Sabalenka. But uh, she uses her attributes beautifully. She hits the cover off the ball. She's so accurate. She's so brave. I give her full kudos. You might not be the fastest player, but you can you can become very fast if you anticipate well. And she she anticipates and reads the game. So she's already a step ahead of everyone else. So she makes up for any lack of speed in, in intelligence. Mm. Yeah, so she could be a candidate. The 2017 Roland Garros champion, of course. All right, Mark. Well, thank you very much for... All your insights and good luck in Strasbourg. We'll catch up with you at Roland Garros next week. Thanks, Candy. Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs>